Hello and welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In this episode, we're joined by John Atala, Vice President of Worldwide Sales at Endace. He was interviewed by our sales director, Ian Tompkinson. Ian and John discuss how new tools are impacting the cybersecurity industry, how attacks are becoming more advanced, why going 100% channel has been beneficial for Endace, and they give their best predictions of what might happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Thanks for taking the time out, John. I suppose one of the things I'm really quite interested in, I I love trying to understand company cultures, and particularly when it's a cross-border international business. And one of the things that that really fascinates me about Endace is that uh, you guys started out of a New Zealand university project. That's fascinating. How did that come about and, and, and what happened there, John? Gosh, that's a great question. And and first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate ASM Technologies and yourself taking the time to have the interest and to interview Endace. About 20 years ago, um, a computer science professor at Waikato University in Hamilton, New Zealand, developed a project to capture latency on the network and developed what we call DAG cards and began to market them in public forums, universities, presenting, and lo and behold, there was incredible interest in the high-frequency trading industry, in the service provider industry, and not long after 9-11 happened and things really took off because that was one of the really critical points when people realized we should probably know a little bit more about what's traversing our network. So it went from latency to packet capture and it's evolved ever since, and it's been a it's been a great story over the past twenty years. Endace has had quite an evolution. One thing Endace is really great at is partnering. We're one hundred percent channel, and we're great at listening to customers. Yeah. Our technology has evolved through the years based on customers asking us to do more and more with our core technology, which is capture packets. Okay, that's uh, no, that is an interesting story, and I'll, I'll come back to the uh, the channel aspect because obviously I know you guys are channel friendly. I'll come back to that in a little bit, and I suppose I wanted to just dig into a little bit more of of the company sort of culture because uh, again that is an interest of mine. New Zealand isn't particularly well known for its tech startups, uh, as far as I'm aware, anyway. So, how does a company that's based out in New Zealand end up being headquartered in Austin, Texas? With you based in sort of Silicon Valley and offices across Europe, how does that work? I suppose two things from, I take it that there was a strategy to make sure you've got a global footprint there, but also how does that affect the company culture? Because obviously Silicon Valley culture versus New Zealand, I'm sure there's going to be some differences there. No, that's a great question. And how I'll answer that is we're actually headquartered in Hamilton, New Zealand or Auckland. From the inception, when you're from New Zealand, you uh, are an international company, right? In order to grow your customer base, you have to be relevant in the North American market as well as the EMA market in addition to APAC. So right from the inception, you have that cultural international flavor to what you're doing. And the interesting thing about Endace and how our culture has evolved over the years is when I joined Endace 10 years ago, we were a public company on the London Stock Exchange. And we got acquired by a NASDAQ company out of Costa Mesa. And then Enday spun out about five years ago to its current current ownership, which is Stuart Wilson, our CEO, and our CFO, Andrew Harson. Our culture is one of really full transparency. 
We share information so that the engineers understand the deals that we're doing. So it's not just siloed in verticals uh, or siloed with just the sales team or the U.S. just knows about a deal and Europe doesn't know about a deal. We do an incredible job of sharing information from sales to product to engineering so that everybody understands what's important to the customers and how our product's being used and, and most importantly, how we can get better. Yeah, no, that, that is really important. If you've got that sort of sharing culture and uh, that customer focus, that, that, that's a huge market advantage because as you mentioned, a lot of organizations tend to, to be siloed. And I remember reading uh, an interesting one about Sony and they were very siloed as an organization. And before Apple had iTunes and, and where they became, Sony obviously had owned Sony Music and they actually developed something called, I can't remember the exact name, of it, but it was basically the iPod before Apple did, and they owned Sony Music. So if they'd actually spoken to each other as a business, they could have probably been first to market on that with probably a better technical solution. But I always say that Apple are a great organization because at the end of the day, they're a a marketing company that does technology, whereas somebody like BlackBerry or somebody like that, they're a technology company that did a little bit of marketing. And I think that can make a bit of a difference being siloed and that communication and that marketing feel to to a company's culture. So yeah, it's really interesting. A company of our size, you really feel the difference if everybody's not rowing in the same direction. I remember when we first spoke and one of the things that you gave me was a very layman's terms over view of what Endace probes actually do and as soon as I heard that it just was like wow that makes perfect sense and I completely get why particularly enterprise scale organizations would buy an Endace product can you just run that by me again and for the listeners as well because it was a brilliant sort of overview of it you bet. I, I hope I remember it, Ian. You've, you've made it sound so great. Most people don't realize that there is a tool on the market that records the network at the packet level and provides what we call network history. And if you think about that, having access to what's happened on your network for it yesterday or maybe two days ago or a week ago or a month ago is incredibly valuable. So in, a, in the simplest analogies, you can look at us as the black box on a flight, right? When something happens, you're able to go back and see exactly what happened. Some people liken us to uh, physical security of video cameras. We have the ability to be able to integrate with a lot of the major security and networking tools that are in the market. So the IDS is the SIMs, the firewalls, the APM tools, the AI tools that are really hot, the SOAR tools that are really taking off. We complement those tools because we integrate with them. And when analysts go back to look and see what happened, they can stay in the workflow that they're used to, whether that's say it's Splunk and they want to see exactly what happened, what caused this alert, what triggered it they can right-click in the Splunk workflow and get the packets that correlate to that alert. So when I boil Endace down is what we do is we're this repository of truth on your network. And we give analysts the ability to solve problems in real time. But these guys are so overworked with alerts that are coming in. There's alert fatigue and tool fatigue because they have to use so many tools to 
uh, respond to alerts is they're able to, with Endace, pivot back and get the information that caused the exact information down to the packet level and solve alerts faster and more effectively. Yeah, I was surprised actually when I was just doing a, a little bit of research and I was actually amazed at how many the cybersecurity market is uh, in some ways, uh, I suppose uh, I would describe it as saturated, but I know it's not because there's obviously there's new threats and new technologies and it's evolving all the time, which, which is what makes it so interesting. But I, I couldn't actually believe that sometimes that these guys are using 20, 30, 40, 50 tools to to try and monitor what, what's going on in the network, particularly on an enterprise-grade network. And you forget the actual human impact of managing all that. And yeah, if Endace can support, that's fantastic. Yeah, I would tell you that what's, what's going on in the market too is there's a lot of tools, like you said, in different departments, in different organizations, particularly Fortune 1000 companies, have a lot of tools. There's tool fatigue. People are... The analysts are trying to learn how to use all these different tools in their network to solve all these different problems. And most enterprises have an initiative called tool consolidation. And so what Endace helps is because we're that central repository, we can connect to just the tools that matter. And so when they start eliminating tools, they can actually get much more efficient and they can get much more predictable on how they're going to analyze or investigate certain responses certainly yeah no that's fascinating and a great solution and i know uh, obviously uh, actually in the news today a fascinating sort of overview and having read an article that you wrote in, in 2019 about healthcare and the legacy systems that that healthcare professionals are using it's really quite poignant when i saw an article on the bbc news today about uh, some poor lady in germany had passed away because some hackers basically attacked the hospital and her life changing surgery or life-threatening surgery basically couldn't take place because these, these hackers have, have basically taken down part of this hospital and apparently the hackers didn't target the hospital but because it was described as a university hospital they thought it was a university uh, and they've attacked it taken it down and this poor lady has passed away and that for, for me particularly tied in with, with the conversation uh, and your article about these legacy systems and um, there is now a criminal investigation pursuing. So not only is your sort of technology potentially been used to help the kind of technologies to help people unwind an event that's happened on a network, but it could potentially be used for a criminal investigation f to support these people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what a sad story, right? It's awful to hear about that, the, the poor woman and her family. It's a shame that cybersecurity is getting to the point where it's actually affecting lives. Uh, I'm sure that wasn't intentional, but nonetheless, th that's what happens. We all rely on networks as critical parts of our organizations, regardless of what industry you're in, and particularly healthcare. We've got a lot of healthcare customers, and the healthcare industry, they're fabulous customers. They do have a lot of legacy gear. One of the issues they have is they have small teams, right? Yeah. So a lot of times when we work with hospitals, they are the network operators as well as the security team. Um, so they have to be across multiple different issues, whether it's a network performance issue or an application performance issue or an access issue. And when you think about it, how many partners hospitals have and who needs access to their networks. Running a hospital network is complex. 
And so when something does happen, when there's a performance issue or God forbid a hack, a security breach, and they need to go back and investigate what happened, they need to do it quickly and definitively. And that's part of what end days brings. Unfortunately, we can't stop that kind of attack. That's not what we do. But we can support the investigation after post event to make sure that once they get to the the data on the network that triggered, right, or how the attackers got in, we can help that to resolve that threat, that breach definitively, because we've recorded every packet that's traversed the network. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, I, I obviously try and keep her up to date. And there's the the Gartner Institute that Gartner is saying that by 2022 that the cyber attacks are going to get more clever. AI is going to be coming involved. These attackers are going to be using artificial intelligence to try and mimic and copy social media events and the way that we behave on a network. And we're going to be dealing with a whole new level of attacks. However, if it's 30% in 2022 that are going to be using AI, that means that 70% is still going to be traditional VPN attacks, still going to be passwords, and there's lots of entry points on a network. And I know from some of the work that you guys have been doing as well with and the partnerships that you have with the likes of Palo Alto, Cisco, as you mentioned, Splunk, and uh, fascinatingly, Dark Trace as well, which obviously is becoming a Gartner leader in its field. Yeah. Those yeah. partnerships, I can see those adding real value as, as well to, to the work that Endace does. Partnerships is at the core of Endace. And listening to our customers and what I mentioned before, they don't want to learn new tools, right? They are selecting strategic tools that help them do their jobs better and more effectively. And what they want is they're looking for, if they're going to add a new tool, they want a tool that complements the tools they already have in place, right? Yeah. And, and most organizations have their firewall and their SIM, they're adding AI, they have their APM tools, right? What they want is they want to give their analysts, their operators, another solution that helps them leverage the tools and the workflows that they already have. You have your Palo Alto firewall team. You have your Splunk team. You may have your Q Radar IBM SIM team, right? And those analysts are eyes on glass looking at those tools 24-7. What really helps them that we provide is they can stay in that workflow yeah. and they don't have to learn a brand new product. Uh, Endace is very simple to operate. It integrates seamlessly with those tools for free at no cost. And the other big bonus is that it's effective from a, a cost standpoint. It doesn't cost an arm and a leg to, to roll Endace out, but it can also be on a global network. Mm -hmm. All our probes can be searched simultaneously. So these big organizations with fast networks, with complex networks are ones that we focus on as well because our openness to connect to the tools that they want so we can connect to those tools that we've talked about we can also host analytics. So if there's a spot in your network where you don't have an IDS and you'd like it, maybe a remote office, or maybe you're having an application performance issue at a smaller office where you don't have your APM server. I suppose the conversation about 
do you work directly or do you work with channel? And obviously you guys have gone with channel. What makes you want to utilize the channel and, and why have you gone down that route? Yeah, a great question is we've been channel for a hundred percent channel for probably eight or 10 years. And when you're a small global company, you need the reach into all the markets. Our biggest markets are federal governments across the globe, global banks, healthcare, and then Fortune 2000. And so the channel has developed great trust within those organizations, bringing services and solutions that those verticals need. And we're not a well-known brand like a Palo Alto or a Cisco. So when we develop the trust with our channel partners and, and our channel partners can see the value that we bring to the end users and they can see that it's a great product to represent because we have incredibly high customer satisfaction rates, it makes them confident and comfortable selling a solution like ours. And the other nice thing for the channel is we complement those other products that they've sold, right? Most channel partners have sold Cisco, IBM, Splunk, Palo Alto. They've sold those. And when they can complement something they've already sold and make those tools even better. And where the market's going right now is this whole automation, orchestration. And many of our partners are embracing that and wrapping their services around it. Not only can we complement a tool that the channel's probably led with, a Cisco or a Palo, But as they evolve and provide more services around orchestration, automation, they can incorporate Endace, make those tools better, and then also sell services around it. So it's it's really a win for everybody. Yeah, that's a great message. And I know uh, a lot of the sales guys, they're always looking for a different conversation to have with a customer outside of the the Cisco's and the Paolo's and the Splunk's. And they're, they're obviously tools that everybody needs and everybody buys and that they're great at what they do that are supposed to have a an upsell and and also an opportunity to wrap services around that's great for the reseller community it really is and that there aren't as many opportunities as there perhaps should be to uh, to utilize the channel for that and i've seen how the channel can can directly have an impact on a vendor similar to yourselves that that perhaps don't have uh, huge sales forces that they want to spend their time developing a product where the channel can, can really add the, add the value. And it's that reach in, into that market and those relationships that, that, that really make a difference for me, which is why I love working in the channel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of it's, you know, when, when you say, I, I agree everything that you said with, and it's, it's all about trust, right? We, yeah, absolutely. We know, we know how to work with the channel and we provide a product that the channel can be proud to represent. And uh, I suppose a couple of uh, I suppose more sort of uh, interesting questions, again, going back onto my in, in, interest in the international business and company cultures. How have you found it's obviously been based in the US with, with that sort of global feel selling into the, the UK and Europe? What, what challenges does that present to you, if any? We've been really fortunate to have a European sales team out of London for a number of years. And some of our most tenured, probably maybe our most tenured salesperson on our team has been there uh, 10 years as well. So been incredibly fortunate. One thing, uh, one thing about Endace is our 
our entire company has pretty long tenures. We've got a great core group of people and many of them are salespeople. So in, a, in, a, in an industry where you see salespeople, I think on average change careers, 18 months to two years in, Endace has a longevity with their sales force, uh, especially selling a, a tool like ours and the, the different things we see in these different networks really allows us to provide not only value to the channel and explaining things of how we can work, but also the explanations to the customers on the value that we bring. One of the challenges, and we've experienced this together, is with all the different countries in Europe and all the different logistics and shipping and taxes and things like that, that's one huge value that ASM has brought us on the deals that we've done together. There's, There's lots of challenges, I would say, being a global organization, but when you partner with the right people and you have an experienced sales team, we've been blessed to really minimize the uh, the impacts of being global in a small company. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, and uh, we've, uh, in the UK in particular, we've been very much used to over the years, the international, particularly US-based vendors selling products in, into the UK, and, and we're very used to that. Interesting, we don't see many go the other way. We don't see many sort of uh, British companies selling into the US or, or, or starting products. And I don't know if that's down to that sort of investment culture in the US that, that the US has. And I, I think there's a, a very different focus on tech companies. And I know particularly in cybersecurity, for example, Israel's been a hotbed of cybersecurity innovation for, for quite a period now. And you only have to start talking cybersecurity before people start naming Israeli vendors. And I'm aware of a couple that we work with that are coming out of Israel. And I believe that's down to their sort of culture from the military and that they have, I suppose, uh, you, you can take, you can go into a conscription in, into the military, but you don't have to, you don't have to serve on the front line. You can go into cyber uh, and they've got that culture. And then there's this investment strategy and, and then they all tend to head to the US again for further investment. Do, do, do you think it is a, a, it, the investment in, in uh, particular in Silicon Valley is, is still there and, and it's still quite exciting? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. The, the Silicon Valley is the hotbed for investment, particularly if you're a young startup company. As you described that, I was thinking about really being a New Zealand-based company. We, we've our culture, we've learned how to sell into other countries and other geos from our inception. It's mm-hmm. ingrained in what we do. And we have an incredible sales ops logistics team <clears throat> headquartered actually in, uh, in London that helps us sell globally. We are a New Zealand-based company and being global and operating global is second nature to us. It's just ingrained in what we do. That that whole sort of Silicon Valley sort of investment piece, and and I do think that the, the startups particular, and that is down to that. I suppose the success of that Silicon Valley uh, machine, or, or the sausage machine that seems to uh, produce such good organisations come out of it. And we've had two or three of our vendors in the last six months go very successful IPOs, and it's great to see that journey. Obviously, we, we've just come out of the most unusual times I think in history, and oh. there's no sort of uh, training or books or guidance that anyone's anyone's had 
to turn to and it's it really is really has been challenging and but thankfully i i know that we've we've both had uh, successful businesses and uh, things have gone quite well but for both of us in, in the last six months how do we forecast for the next 12 or 18 months and i'm not asking you for a a, yeah. a golden bullet i'm just putting it out there it's going to be so difficult to to forecast and plan for the next 18 months. A lot of companies are going to really struggle with that. I think you're right. With COVID, we are treading on really new waters, right? None of us expected this. It's definitely going to go on uh, longer. One of the things that I, I can tell you is that we've seen different organizations respond completely differently, right? Some organizations have just hunkered down and said, we're going to freeze things and we're just going to try to get through this. And other organizations have actually expanded their networks and invested right now in their networks because they're realizing that more of their people are remote and so that they have to make that more robust. We have a corporate mantra to keep it simple. And we are taking that to a new level now, whether that's doing proof of concepts or whether that's doing initial installations we're trying to do more and more of that remotely and drive the simplicity into our product so that it's even easier for our customers to install and use. I don't know if I have a silver bullet for forecasting. I don't. Oddly enough, it's one of my objectives this year, which I think is going to be a challenging one. But one of the things that we've done is we've really been able to get closer to our customers, right? Um, we're really getting the understanding with our partners about what our customers' goals and objectives are during this time frame. And when you have a lot of customers that are in the healthcare organization, we've seen a lot of our healthcare customers invest in networks. Where they have the time to do that, I don't know, but they're realizing that now's a time that they need to invest and make sure that their tools give them the ability to respond. One of the things that we draw it to is that with more and more people working from home, particularly the analysts and the operators of your network are working from home. For Endace, we've been a really good solution because we now can give them two or three days, maybe a week of look back of network history. So where they may have not been efficient in troubleshooting being remote, when you have that backstop of being able to look at yesterday's or two days or a week ago's traffic, you didn't lose it because you weren't at the office we're helping them solve problems, even being remotely. I didn't really answer your question on how you're going to forecast, Ian, but I can tell you that it's a hard problem. And it's one of those things where I think getting as close to your customers as you possibly can, understanding the challenges that they're going through, understanding if their budgets are frozen or understanding if you can help them because it's challenging, definitely allows you to forecast a little bit more accurately. Yeah, and uh, as uh, you mentioned earlier on in our conversation, uh, I think that word trust is important. I, I think customers are also looking to partnerships, technologies that they trust as well. And I think if you've got strong relationships and you've got technologies that are reliable, trustworthy, but also add, add value and, and also can save time and money, I, I think you should do quite well as a business. And I think particularly in the technology sector, I think if you haven't got that, then you need to be asking asking some questions of the business. In terms of, I suppose, a, a final question before uh, we, we depart for the weekend, have you got any sort of predictions for, for the next sort of six or 12 months 
in, in terms of technologies that, that you'd like to cover off? Or where do you think cyber is going to go in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I know. That's a great question. I, I wish I had uh, the crystal ball here. What, what we're seeing more and more of, and, and we're getting this from our channel partners, and we're seeing it with our end users, is the mantra is integration, automation, and orchestration. So what I would expect to see in the next 12 to 18 months, more companies actually implementing SOAR products. We just partnered with Palo Alto's Cortex XSOAR product because we see larger enterprises wanting to automate as much of the incident response process as possible. It's still quite a bit of manual labor. And depending on the certain individuals that get assigned the the specific alerts. And I think one of the big efficiencies that we're going to see in the next 12 to 18 months is that integration, automation, orchestration piece, because it's going to take some of the variability out of how corporations respond to their incident response and their alerts. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. No, that's fascinating stuff. And I really do appreciate your time that you've taken out today to to join us for, for our podcast series. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of ASM Connected. Over the next few weeks, we've got some more great guests joining us on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out. If you'd enjoyed this episode, then we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your podcast app of choice. Finally, if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at ASM, head over to our website at asmtech.com.